Let's talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. A movie by movie and television series by television series hurtle through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time we're taking a look at Thor The Dark World, released in October 2013, when, if you preferred, you could have gone to see Ken Loach's Clement Attlee documentary The Spirit of 45, Martin Scorsese's uncredited voice cameo in The Wolf of Wall Street, or Jennifer Aniston in Life of Crime instead. I'm Tim Worthington, and here's what I had to say about Thor The Dark World when I live-tweeted my Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch. Wants too much to be a post-Peter Jackson genre epic, and the dreadful ITV news scenes and My Two Dads accents don't help. Also, Eccleston doing his serious roles. Nice action set pieces and gags, though, and I've forgotten about the Quantum Realm setup. That's what I had to say about it, though. And joining me to give his thoughts on Thor The Dark World is musician and podcaster Paul Abbott. Paul... Where can people find you? They can find me either on at Hark87 Podcast for my podcast about Ed McBain, or just come and be friendly at, at Pavlovich on Twitter, which is my personal one. So before we go any further, Paul, what happens in Thor The Dark World? Well, I thought to explain this, I'd use a paraphrase Thor's own explanation from a later film in the series. So if you'll permit me, I've mangled that a little bit to explain it. Where to start? Um, the ether. Firstly, not a stone. It's more of an angry sludge sort of thing. So here's an interesting story, though, about the ether. Thor's grandfather, many years ago, had to hide the stone from the dark elves. Woo, scary beings. So Jane, who is an old flame of Thor's, you know, she stuck her hand inside a rock this one time, and then the ether stuck itself inside her, and then she became very, very sick. And so he had to take her to Asgard, where he's from, and they had to try and fix her. And they were dating at the time. He got to introduce her to his mother, and oh, you know... Nothing lasts forever. The only thing that is permanent in life is impermanence. Well, by reciting that, you've just made me think of Quill stole the Power Stone from Morag, which has made me laugh a bit too much to do the next link properly. But, Paul, how much did you know about Thor before seeing this film? Well, I knew from the his position in the Marvel Universe, but as, as to the comics, I'd only had a, a basic idea of him. And I think I had the idea that most people have, which is was he was their sort of sword and... Not sword and sorcery, but that sort of thing. Mythology character, and it was all a bit forsooth and therefore... And Thou art and all that stuff. I'd read a couple of comics, but I'd never gone out of my way to investigate Thor's world. The Marvel Thor is my Thor, really. Well, I'm wondering if we have quite a different take on this film, because it's one of the ones that really doesn't work for me, along with Age of Ultron and The Incredible Hulk, as we've already covered in the previous one. just doesn't quite work for me. As I said, it's too far in the direction of the Peter Jackson things. And when I read up on the history of the director's chair for this film, I think that might shed some light on it. I'd never really looked into why, because obviously... Kenneth Branagh did a great job on the first Thor film. Yeah. And he isn't involved with this, although he has contributed to later Marvel films in various ways. But apparently it was simply that he loved doing the first one, but he didn't like the long lead in time and how it kind of booked him up and he wasn't able yeah. to do all the things he wanted to do. So he was like a bit, I've been there, done that, enjoyed it. I want to do different things now. So they next went to Patty Jenkins, who would have been a great choice, but apparently she spent a couple of months working on 
on it. And, and this becomes a running theme with these films, she withdrew herself without any animosity, saying basically that I could have made it into a good Patty Jenkins film, but that would not have fitted in as a good Marvel film. And so it wasn't for me. And that's fair enough. Yeah, I noticed today, in fact, when I was doing a bit of looking into this, there's some new stuff about that from Patty Jenkins, because presumably this is part of the lead into um, Wonder Woman 84. She's doing some pre-publicity. So it's cropped up as to why she left Thor 2 again. And it's not much more to add, except she said, basically, the script would have made it impossible for her to make a good movie. So she was down on the script. And that's that was the real the kicker that she couldn't get past. Yeah. As we'll come back to, there is a lot of setup with later films in this. And I can imagine why. I mean, it reminds me of there's a story about when they did the Doctor Who anniversary story, The Five Doctors, mm. that was eventually written by Terrence Sticks. Apparently, the first approach to Robert Holmes and said to him, OK, we'll do a story, we'll have all five Doctors, and we'll have K-9, and a Dalek, and blah, 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 and apparently he just laughed, and more or less walked out. <laughs> so that kind Pipe, of pipe in mouth. Yeah. <laughs> That kind of shopping list can be a bit daunting, but eventually went to Alan Taylor, who directed a lot of episodes of Game of Thrones. And there's a lot more like Game of Thrones than the first Thor film is. Yeah, I think the Game of Thrones thing is very telling. I've never seen Game of Thrones, but obviously I know what it's about. I can understand why he's ended up being brought in for this sword and sorcery epic again. You know, he also did Terminator Genesis, I believe. Yeah, and one thing that I suspect was his decision that really kind of puts this out on a limb for me is that as far as I can tell, there's no young person's popular beat music in it at all. Because in all the other films, there's a thing about a key use of one or two pop records. Everyone remembers. Even the first Thor film has that Foo Fighters song in it. And this doesn't at all. I don't think that helps, but I get the impression you enjoy it a lot more than I do. Well, I think it's okay, but I don't think it's anywhere near top tier. It's it's not great. It's okay. I like it because of, of Hemsworth, basically, and a bit of the him and Loki banter stuff going on, which is what's most like the other films that they feature in. I love Lord of the Rings. Not so keen on the Hobbit stuff. That was a bit of a overblown for what it needed to be. But I do really, really love Lord of the Rings. So I should like this more than I actually do. So you might find actually our opinions are closer than you might think because they've aimed for Lord of the Rings, the Hobbits in the cinema at the same time that this is being made and comes out as well. And what Jackson does brilliantly in Lord of the Rings, they miss totally here because the scale of it doesn't work with the way that Alan Taylor's put it together or the scripts together. One thing I don't understand is the script is by people who scripted some of the great stuff in this whole series of Marvel films, Marcus and McFeely and Christopher Yost. And I don't know why it doesn't work. And I can't still quant quant still can't quite put my finger on why. Well, maybe. I mean, one thing I found out about going through the films is there are somewhere there were revisions onto the scripts where nobody knows who they were done by i think the main one for that wow. is the hulk they've never identified who one of the writers was and there were a couple where it's later emerged that the star got to do a once over on the script which sometimes worked like in ant-man i think paul rudd brought a lot to that sometimes yeah. doesn't work like in the hulk but <laughs> i've got to stop slacking that film off yeah it's such an easy target <laughs> but there's a more fundamental problem for me i wonder if this is just me but cutting a long story short the main antagonist played by Christopher Eccleston. Now, I've got a lot of time for him. I think he's a tremendous actor. I wasn't convinced by him as the Doctor at first. Quickly, he grew on me. I think he was one of the best Doctors that we ever had, which makes it all the more of a shame that he's kind of now swept under the carpet a bit. But the thing is, in this, he's not only 
only covered in extremely heavy makeup. He's also talking for the most of it, a gibberish language. And you're still looking at it thinking, that's Christopher Eccleston off of yeah. the second coming. It <laughs> yes. just, you can't immerse yourself in it because he's one of those actors where, unfortunately, it's always him. When yeah. you look at him, like Michael Sheen is, and sometimes if the role suits their acting style, it doesn't matter. If it's something off the wall i find it hard to be convinced by it because you are just thinking of them all the time are you basically saying that thor the dark world is a spin-off from our friends in the north no i think it's a spin-off from the it crowd because somebody else who takes me out of it a bit is Paul oh yeah chris o'dowd essentially appears in this as roy yeah an office man yes i find that hard to swallow as well particularly when it's allied with the fact there are some terrible dating jokes in that because basically he goes on a date with jane when she thinks thor's gone for good I will compare it unfavourably to Ant-Man and the Wasp, as when we come back to that one, I'll have a lot to say about this, to somebody who was thrust back into the dating pool around the same age as the main characters in that. A lot of that rings true. There's a Mm. lot of recognisably funny things about it. This just doesn't ring true at all. It's like they have a slightly awkward date that shouldn't be awkward because they're both nice and funny, and then she gets an indication that Thor's still around. He basically goes, oh, yeah, you know, go off and be with him. And it's like a Guardian first dates column as a script, basically, and it just doesn't work for me. And it, again, it's a shame because I love Chris O'Dowd, but I think he's served very badly by his scenes in this film. He's just there as a mechanism, isn't he? Because he's in at that early scene with a date, and then he's just used as a mechanism to get someone back somewhere else at so some point. Why so did nobody tried turning him off and on again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but back, I mean, in terms of Chris Eccleston, I think that thing about the makeup is really because he's he's spoken about this at later, hasn't he? And he he hated doing it because he spent so long in makeup so he he didn't feel like he could act anyway right so he's 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 basically said once or twice you know i think it is a waste of him as well because he doesn't actually get to do that much because the first big baddie is this creature curse which is another one of the dark elves not chris eccleston and at the end he just gets beaten up so (laughs) and of course we've avoided talking about it so far but there's itv news reports Mm -hmm. where i'll be generous Everything about the design-wise and kind of direction-wise, presentation-wise is spot on. It's the reporter. It's like somebody doing a bad cover of Park Life. It's, it's such a weird thing. It's unlike ITV News. Yeah, I, I noted this down as well. I've just got it down. ITV News scene from Stonehenge, and it's in the background. Again, you're, you're totally right. They get the logo right. It's, it's more or less laid out as you would see a news broadcast, but they just somehow, this, again, it's something doesn't sit right. I mean, this isn't the only film where that's a problem, or basically any mainly American production that uses a british tv news broadcast scenario always it's like oh why am i cringing at that it doesn't matter but it's because it's so familiar to us it's so strange when it's wrong well i was just about to say that ironically it kind of reminds me of spinal tap doing the spoken word intro to stonehenge except Uh they are more convincing (laughs) i mean there are some positives in it though i mean for a start you know you mentioned the back and forth between thor and loki there's a brilliant scene where they steal the spaceship and Loki repeatedly says things like let's steal the biggest most obvious ship in the universe and Thor eventually snaps and says thank you for the commentary Loki it's not at all distracting and eventually just pushes him out when he's had enough of him those sort of scenes they really lift it I think I could say they feel more like they're part of the universe the the, the language of the Marvel universe and the the way that the, the to and fro works between characters whereas I think a lot of the other characters in the script of this film don't work 
work like that, which is why I don't think the Warriors 3 and Lady Sif necessarily work very well. They just seem very two-dimensional, which isn't fair on the actors necessarily, especially Lady Sif, who's you're supposed to have some feelings that there's unrequited love or something there, but she gets no chance to actually play that out other than looking across a corridor at Jane. Yeah, and Jane's not brilliantly served in this either. I mean, uh. I've got a real problem with the last post-credit scene, which obviously we'll come back to when we talk about the post-credit scenes, but she kind of turns up, she investigates a mystery, she throws a shoe into this recursive loop. There's a great payoff to that later when Thor asks why there's so many shoes in here, <laughs> where they end up where the end point of it was. But after that, she's kind of just wandering about. She doesn't quite become a damsel in distress by any stretch of the imagination, but Eric and Darcy get much more to do than her, which is quite odd, really. Yes. They're, they're kind of the, not quite comic relief, but they're there to not hand their things, but hand their lines. And suddenly they seem to take over. Yeah, it's interesting. But And they clearly felt that then there was a space for another Darcy from the first film character. And they bring in another character called Ian for some reason. Do I do not know why he's there. Unless they were just sort of saying, how do we get Darcy out of this universe? Well, we put her in a relationship at the end and send her off. But I don't know that what that's all about at all. It's a funny thing with Tom Hiddleston. Is I'm not a, a massive fan of him, but for some reason, as Loki, it seems to have been the perfect bit of casting, and he can do anything with a character who, at no point with Loki, are you supposed to actually trust him, and he gets that across, and yet. I don't know, he does it very well. He's, he's phenomenal sitting, throwing a cup up and down in the air. He's phenomenal when he reveals his true self in prison. It's a fantastic way of actor doing that character as it's written. There's also a great opening battle, which I only realised watching it again now. It's kind of mirrored shot for shot in bits of the battle in Wakanda in Infinity War. Oh, right, okay. Thor does more or less exactly the same thing. Arrives on the Bifrost, leaps up in the air, smashes the hammer down and sends electricity back buzzing out, knocking all the minions down one by one. It even looks quite like the Wakandan forest. Yeah, and what I noticed about that scene as well, uh, in terms of linking to other films in the series, is a big rock monster turns up. Now, I'm not absorbed, as I say, in the in the comics history, but I was watching it going, is that a relation of Korg from Thor Ragnarok? And I was doing a little bit of research, and it was the same race as Korg, a Cronan, apparently. So he smashed up one of the, uh, <laughs> the same species as Korg. Well, on the other side of the coin to that, we've also got the fight scenes with the Dark Elves in Greenwich, which, to me, looks like a bad Cyberman story from post-2005 <laughs> Doctor Who. It's got that yeah. great bit in the middle where Thor has to get the tube. But aside from that, it just doesn't convince me. Aside from the fact he gets the tube station wrong, I don't know why, with the tube map being this transport city in one of the most famous cities in the world, they couldn't actually get the tube station right. Why they didn't just choose Canary (laughs) Wharf instead of Charing Cross. That's a proper IMDB goof (laughs) type comment. Yeah, and then they put it in, they say it's Greenwich and they set it in I think it's the Royal Naval College, which isn't actually Greenwich, it's just the side of the river. So, but you know, that's just... It's probably Greenwich the sort of people who think ITV news reporters talk like that. And my favourite bit happens in that final battle anyway, which is essentially as they're jumping, the, the fight takes place through a load of portals which is good fun for a lot of special effects 
effects, very good CGI, lots of zooping in and out of places. Thor's thrown his hammer, but he keeps getting then <laughs> going through all these portals. So you're just watching his hammer constantly <laughs> try to find its way back to him. So it keeps heading out, it's towards the sun, and then he suddenly he's back again, so it's coming back. I thought that was a good... That's a lot funnier than actually, I think it, it perhaps comes across as fir- at first when you start noticing that that's what's happening. This poor hammer's flying across the universe just trying to find him wherever he is. And that's kind of a metaphor for the whole film, really, isn't it? There's <laughs> yeah. so many good ideas and Thor's kind of chasing after them and they don't quite come together. And yet it leaves such a long shadow over the rest of the Marvel Universe in terms of setups and, and stuff that happens in TV as well. We should just quickly say, and this ties into one of the post credit scenes, it's the first real mention, not of the Infinity Stones, but of the power and the origin of them. Yeah. Also with the Quantum Realm, which doesn't yeah. play a big part until much later on. But there is a direct mirror later on of the fact that Jane thinks she's been in there for seconds and she's actually been in for five hours. Oh, yeah, And later so. on, somebody who turns out to be in there for five years thinks he was in for five hours. Ah, yes. And so they really were playing the long game there, but they're two of the most important things in the whole Infinity Saga come out of this film. And you do wonder how many people actually saw Thor The Dark World compared to how many people saw the films that picked up on those important strands it introduced. It's funny because this is the second film in Phase 2, isn't it? isn't it? And you, you've opened that with Iron Man 3, which has scrambled everyone's brains anyway. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, it is like this is the, the first time since, you know, the whole series of films started getting really, really good and really, really popular. It has a little dip where it, it's, it gets a bit for a bit. But it's like like you say, it's, it's, it's just doing so much preparatory work. But then right at the end, in the middle of the credits, we get a set up for a much better film that's following, mm-hmm. which is? Well, that's Guardians of the Galaxy that's coming up, isn't it? And you get Senecio del Toro as the collector yes and the whole gist is they've taken the infinity stone that was the ether to him for safekeeping you later find out why that was because as star lord points out if it's with him it's not safe that's one of those great moments I had in the cinema where, you know, I'd been sitting through it not particularly enjoying it, and then mm. at the end it was like, whoa! Definitely some space characters are coming. Yes. I'm not quite sure Guardians of the Galaxy have been formally announced at that point, but they were going to space. What an exciting moment that was. But then we get the other post credit scene, Ugh. which is basically just Thor turns up and kisses Jane. And, and then a big dog what... runs around. <laughs> Apart from the big dog running around, which I do approve of, that isn't what the post credit scene should be doing. And it's the one sort of note to bring into the whole Thor saga as well, I think. That feels like someone said at some point, oh, we need Thor back on Earth, and we need to make sure the audience knows that he's back on Earth. So do that. And it's like, oh, what? It's the last day of shooting. Do we have to? Oh, yeah, go on. (laughs) Stick it in. Copy and paste. Stick it on the end of the film. And it doesn't really set anything up at all, does it? No. But that said, we did get two follow-ons in this film, and that is quite a major amount that probably most people haven't seen which is two episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. which directly pick up on the events of Thor The Dark World the first one's The Well now what did you make of that Paul? It's a bit of a funny one because that, that literally starts straight after The Dark World by they send the S.H.I.E.L.D. team in and then it's an Asgardian artifact thing which is quite an easy bit of storytelling device to use it's an interesting it's a bit of a psychological study of some of the characters there really they use it as part of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. who are these characters what are their uh, motivations 
Foundations type thing. It's all right. I think it's one of the better episodes of the first series. And particularly, I love the fact that it opens with Agent Simmons doing kind of a pastiche of the narrations from the start of the Thor films over a similar kind of like cosmic fantasy landscape, which is then undermined immediately, says, and they leave us with an enormous mess to clean up. Yes, yeah. And also, the Agent May just casually says she would like a go on Thor, which <laughs> I think he will come out worse out of that, to be honest with you. And there's a reference to the god of cleaning up after yourself. And while it's not essential to see that in tandem with the film, it's yeah. nice that it does pick up on that. But then later, a little later in series one, we get Yes Men, which mm. as far as I'm concerned, the first great episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. were... Do you want to describe the plot of that? Basically, they've taken another character from mythology, Lorelei, and they've stuck it into the world of Asgard. And she, basically an Asgardian escapee, has come to Earth and she holds sway over men, particularly specifically men, which she can either sway by just talking to them or by touching them. So they have to try and, and get her. They are aided in this and they know about it by the arrival of Lady Sif from the Thor movies. So she actually gets something to do here, unlike Thor The Dark World, where she's, like I say, just glancing moodily across corridors. She gets to come down and have a few fights and have a mission, which is nice. Yes, and also it's worth pointing out that she seeks out S.H.I.E.L.D. for assistance and yeah. says, are you of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Where is Son of Cool, meaning Phil Coulson? Yeah. Which, which makes me think he's Phil Cool's son. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't really do rubber-faced at all. He's almost the opposite of Phil Cool. He's the most stony, not stony-faced, but still-faced man that's ever been on film. I do think he's brilliant. Uh, Clark Gregg's brilliant as as Phil Coulson. He's such an important character in the whole thing. But yeah, if you're going to compare him to anyone, he's the binary opposite of Phil Cool. I think the main reason this works so well is, I mean, anyone who's heard the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episodes that have gone out so far will know that my theory is that Joss Whedon tried too hard to make series one not like a Joss Whedon series yeah. and it kind of didn't work for that reason this is the one where he kind of makes a Joss Whedon episode because for a start Lorelei not only is played like but looks like Christina Hendricks's character from Firefly Saffron who is kind yeah. of the same character actually she's a con artist and she's very good at manipulating men and that's one of the best episodes of Firefly is the one where she first appears similarly this is one of the best episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because she just gets to riot all over the place yeah and it's that, it's, it's puts in a lot of just weedy postmodern jokes like Fitz gets knocked unconscious and Sif remarks he's always getting knocked out isn't he which is true by that point and I think that was the first moment where they allowed themselves off the leash a bit and I think it's all the better for it I like the notion that someone like Lorelai comes down and wants to form an army and take over and gets to Las Vegas and thinks whoa this is brilliant this is as far as I need I've got everything here I don't it's not even put in as a joke but it's a quite a nice idea to take it somewhere like Las Vegas to say this place is so weird in and of itself that even an alien coming here wouldn't know that this isn't everything although I will question one thing S.H.I.E.L.D.'s methods in this which is basically they know because Lady Sif tells them that this character from space controls all men and what they basically do is then send a load of men in (laughs) that's not good planning it's certainly not but there's just one thing left to ask now Paul, if you had access to a sort of kind of time-space loop where when you threw shoes in it, they kept falling down again and again and again, what would you use it for? Well, I hate to go all political on you, Ben Elton style here, but frankly, we could just dump Boris Johnson in and just get people to pay to come and watch him go past screaming every two seconds. I can't really add anything to that. (laughs) Paul, thank you, and Excelsior. Thank you, Tim. If you've enjoyed this... Don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks 
and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.